Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing multiple murders. Anyone discussed as a suspect is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. The details may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. So like I said in part one, um, I believe that there is or was an active serial killer in Calgary and possibly connected to some cases in Edmonton as well. I, while looking into the Edmonton um, serial killing or the Edmonton quote-unquote killing fields, um, the name Amber Tukaro came up. Um, and it refreshed my memory. I do remember this case. I don't know if you remember it. Um, you probably will once we start getting into it a little bit. I know the name, yeah. Amber Alyssa Tuckero from Mikisu Cree First Nation was 21 years old and living in Fort McMurray, Alberta. She lived with her mom, Tootsie, and young son, Jacob. On August 17th, 2010, Amber flew to Edmonton from Fort McMurray with her 14-month-old son, and a female friend for a weekend trip. Their plan was to spend the night outside of the city in Leduc just to save money and then head into Edmonton the next day. So important to note, um, even though a lot of, okay, (laughs) I got to tell you, a lot of the American podcasters, they don't know, they don't really know the um, Canadian justice system. Obviously, they mispronounce things, um, it's pretty funny. But also in those podcasts, they say that the name of this friend is not released, hasn't been released, where in fact, if you listen to some of the Canadian, especially the Indigenous um, coverage of the case, her name is released. Um, the friend's name is Evangeline. Evangeline met Amber just a couple of weeks earlier in a shelter called the Unity House. This facility offers housing and resources for struggling people, and Amber, wanting to live on her own, would use the resources. It's like uh, temporary housing available for short-term stays. So you can't just stay there. You can stay there, I think, for up to 10 days. And Amber would use the program a few times, but she eventually moved back in with her mother, Vivian, who goes by Tootsie. And just another side note here, I did reach out to Tootsie um, through their family Facebook page. I The message hasn't even been read yet, so I don't know if there's anybody actually managing that anymore. But yeah. um, in any case, this is where Amber met Evangeline. Evangeline invited Amber to Edmonton. We don't know if there was any ulterior motive for the two-day trip. But Evangeline purchased one-way tickets for the three of them to fly from Fort Mac to Alberta, or to Edmonton, sorry, using stolen credit cards. Wow. Now, when the RCMP investigating found out about the stolen credit card purchase, Evangeline said that Amber is the one who bought the tickets. Amber's family obviously dispute this, and the only other person who can shed light on the stolen credit card use is Amber, who is, of course dead. Anyways, so when Amber told her mom about the spontaneous trip, Tootsie tried to make Amber um, not go. She tried talking her out of it, um, or at least leaving the baby with her while Amber went with her new friend. Um, 
Amber was going to go, though, and assured her mom that she would be fine. Uh, And we should say that the reason why Amber wouldn't leave Jacob with Tootsie is because Tootsie wasn't feeling well and she didn't want to burden her mom um, with taking care of the toddler. So she took him with her. So the Edmonton International Airport is actually in Nisku. It's directly across the QE2 highway from the Nisku Inn where Amber, her baby, and Evangeline checked in that night. According to Evangeline, Amber wanted to go into the city once little Jacob had gone to sleep and Evangeline offered to watch the baby so that Amber could go. Sometime between 7.30 and 8 p.m., Amber's brother, who was in the Edmonton Remand Center, called Amber, and because the jailhouse calls are always recorded, we were able to hear the voice of the man who is suspected of murdering Amber. Is it Amber's brother? Yes, but, okay, so, and here's where some American podcasters got it wrong. They said that Amber called her brother in the Remand Center. Um, We know, being... Canadian, I guess, and I don't know what it's like in the States, but inmates cannot receive phone calls. Um, they can make phone calls, and when they do, they're calling collect. I'm not 100% sure that you can call collect to a cell phone, especially back in 2010. I don't think you can. I have a theory about this um, because of the timing that I'm actually, I'm going to play the clip, and then we're going to, we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to get into my theory of what actually may have happened with this phone call. How did he kill her, though, if he's in the remand center? Mm, he didn't. Oh. What do you mean? No. I thought that's what you said. We can hear the man who is suspected of murdering Amber. Right. So On the call with Amber's brother. Right. So she hitchhikes, right? She gets into this vehicle. Okay, that's what my question was. She's my question was, phone. is... Was the guy with on Amber's side, or are we talking about Amber's brother possibly being the a killer? The phone call is recorded on Amber's brother's side because he's in the Edmonton remand. Totally. Okay? So the man who is with Amber is, is the suspect. Gotcha. Okay? okay. So let's listen to that clip right now. crazy Mm -hmm. it was the end literally yeah the struggle yeah and i didn't hear her brother once though right so did was it a secret call like she picked it up in secret and like kept saying that maybe on purpose i don't think so um 
So clearly the driver was not taking her into Edmonton and was driving the back roads in the opposite direction, probably to confuse Amber and get her all turned around during the phone call. The man says they are south of Beaumont, which was correct, and then corrected himself to say north of Beaumont in the direction they should have been going at the end of the call. You can hear Amber ask if they're going east, which is the correct direction that they were going. The man confirms this and Amber says, pull over. I think she must have been trying to jump out of the car. This is when we hear the struggle. The phone most likely fell to the floor and disconnected. It's believed again that this call took place between 7.30 and 8 p.m. So this call was actually 17 minutes long. Police only released that 61-second clip and appealed to the public in, for help identifying the man. But police didn't release the clip for two years. Amber's family found out that the Remand Center only keeps recorded phone calls for 90 days. So to me, that means the police must have known about it within that 90 days. But why did we wait so long to release it? I think I need to go back and get into some of the finer details of the case, including the police's first response to this. Um, I would like to say what I think, because Tootsie in so many interviews had said, so in Fort Mac and on reserves, they would hitchhike. It was, it was almost acceptable. We knew it, they knew it was just happening. Tootsie knew that Amber hitchhiked. So giving her safety tips or whatever, she would say, pretend you're on a phone call. Pretend you're talking to somebody. So as we go through this, we're going to find out that the police didn't even consider her missing person um, for a long time. So, and also the biggest thing for me was why didn't Amber's brother say something happened with my sister last night? Yo, you guys got to look into this. You got to look into this. So hear me out. Mm -hmm. What if Amber was faking the phone call to her brother's cell phone, which he wouldn't have had access to? So maybe she was fake talking into his voicemail and he didn't get that message until he was released from the remand center. Possibly. Does that make sense? It makes more sense than the I don't know why she wouldn't have called her mom if that was the case. So I think maybe she just didn't want her mom knowing that she was hitchhiking in the city. Um, or even her friend. Like, why didn't you call else? somebody else? Yeah, but you, I mean, you never know. You and never know. You never we're know. We're never going to know. But as we go through some of the convoluted information that came from the police and how they handled it, their first response to this, that is the only scenario that makes sense about the phone call to me. It's in true RCMP form, though, not it to is, release something in time like that. This one is just terrible. So Tootsie and Amber were in constant contact the whole time she was gone. Um, they would either text or talk on the phone, and all seemed well until the day after they arrived when Amber stopped responding to text messages. Um, that night, so the night that she hitchhiked on the August 18th. Tootsie thought this was weird, so she called Evangeline and asked what was up. 
Evangeline told her that night that Amber and Jacob were asleep. So Tootsie told her to just have her call when she woke up. That call obviously never came. And it wasn't until the next morning when Evangeline texted Jacob's grandma. And the text said just one thing, Jacob's grandma. So she didn't even know for sure who she was talking to. That's when Amber's mom knew something was wrong. Tootsie called Evangeline, who then admitted that Amber left in the middle of the night and left Jacob with her. Evangeline said that she had not heard from Amber and she didn't know she didn't know what to do. Uh, what Evangeline did, though, is take Jacob over to the child welfare system before his family members could come and get him. Jesus. The family begged her to wait because she had friends and family in Edmonton that could go and get him right away. But Evangeline seemed like she wanted to distance herself from the situation like ASAP. Since she had to go through the court system for about a month before she was able to get Jacob back into her care, um, it was just more added stress for Tootsie and Amber's entire family. And then and Evangeline posted to Amber's Facebook wall on August 22nd, so four days after she was last seen, she wanted Amber to call her because she was worried sick. Her actions with Jacob seemed to contradict her claim of being worried and being a caring friend. Tootsie attempted to report Amber missing right away, but the Leduc RCMP said that she had to wait 24 hours and that Amber was probably just out partying. Can I just maybe throw out a possible other scenario here, mm -hmm. seeing as one of the people aren't speaking out, obviously, and the other one is dead? Is it possible that, you know, Amber didn't want to leave Jacob with Tootsie because she didn't trust Tootsie to watch him, period? And then perhaps her friend, this woman of... How do you pronounce her name? Evangeline. Evangeline. Possibly she knew things that Amber had told her and didn't want her family to have that kid. Perhaps Possible. she did well. Possibly. That's a different spin that absolutely nobody has put on this uh, friend. But yeah. all I'm saying is when there's only one person speaking out, all you're getting is one side of the story. Mm-hmm. Amber's family believes that they only said that because she's indigenous. Um, they totally brushed off her family and all the concerns and showed no sense of urgency. They did eventually take the missing persons report two days later on the 20th. In the meantime, though, the area was plastered with missing persons flyers by her family. Then on August 28, 2010, just 10 days after Amber was last seen and just eight days after the report was filed, Constable Brad Galinsky with the RCMP recommended that Amber's cave be closed because someone at a gas station had reported seeing Amber and that they had reports of her being active on social media. Interesting. They didn't confirm either of these claims before removing her from the missing persons list. Between the time Amber was deleted from the missing persons list and when she was added back on September 23rd, her luggage from the motel was thrown away. Any biological clues were gone forever. Her other brother, Paul, did say that the RCMP sent his mother photos of the luggage contents, contents uh, via email and asked her to identify the stuff. It's strange, though, that they would do this and not offer them the luggage instead. 
It was thrown out with the trash. So again, where are we getting this information? I have a feeling it's Tootsie. That's all I'm going to say. They sent her a photo but didn't offer the stuff. Mm. Seems unlikely to me, but hey, maybe, maybe I mean, it's that's possible. So, it's so far removed from any RCMP protocol. You know, it is. this is really hard for me to, to fathom. Yeah. On September 4th, 2010, three weeks after Amber went missing, a media relations officer with the Leduc RCMP is quoted as saying, we don't have any reason to believe that she is in any danger. We know she's in the Edmonton area. Um, before I go any further, I just want to clarify some things here. Um, Amber's brother, T- uh, Paul Tuckero, stated that Evangeline booked the flights to Edmonton using stolen credit cards. Paul also said that Evangeline told the RCMP that Amber was the one who used the stolen credit card to book the flights. Um, Amber's not here to uh, dispute that, obviously. This tit-for-tat thing, though, is, like, pointless, in my opinion. They, like, just say they did it together. They both went. Yeah. And they both obviously, and they both obviously knew about it. Mm -hmm. They both did it. But, I mean, the RCMP believes this is true because they never charged with Evangeline with credit card fraud. But she's also a person of interest in Amber's disappearance, but the RCMP has never mentioned it to the media. They told Paul that they were going to give her a lie detector test, but then later told him that they cannot administer one because it's against her rights. So is she a suspect or not, or a person of interest? If she's a person of interest, then, sorry, she can have a lie detector test. Not that it's admissible, but you know what I mean. And she doesn't have to do it, though. Right. And from what I understand, um, she had moved on. She's The RCMP by December 2010, said that they made several failed attempts to locate and interview Evangeline. But eventually when they did, her story has changed. Um, And this could be the reason for so many discrepancies surrounding the events leading up to Amber's disappearance. Is it fair to say that they did drugs? Uh, You know what? I don't know. There's no information saying either way. I've seen pictures of Amber... And I've seen pictures of Evangeline. Um, Just because Tootsie one said of that them, they partied. That's all I was thinking. Yeah, like neither one of them look like hardcore drug users, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, Evangeline, in the photos that I saw, looked like a um, looked like a normal, clean-cut, blonde, Caucasian woman. Like she didn't have anything that stood out to me that looked like she could be trouble. So last I heard they were supposed to interview Evangeline again, but they hadn't done so. They cited COVID as to the reason for the delay. And as of, as this story is retold over and over, most accounts say that the duo went to Edmonton to go to the West Edmonton mall and stayed at this uh, Nisku place motel to save money. And that's a believable story because like I said, um, the airport has shuttles that take you right across the highway to this strip of motels. And, um, I mean, that it's, um, there's not, so we've got Beaumont, which is almost part of Edmonton. And then right after Beaumont, you've got the Edmonton International Airport and across the highway is considered Nisku. 
And then right beside there, there's not even like a grassy field or anything that separates Nisku from Leduc. We just go straight into Leduc. And most people won't even call it Nisku. Right. It's Leduc. It's Leduc. Even Beaumont, it's all Leduc. Yeah. Once you get out of Edmonton and you go past that vehicle inspection station, all of that to us who are considered locals, we consider that all to be Leduc. Yeah. But with this guy on the phone saying that we're Beaumont, north of Beaumont, um, he's in the Leduc area. And I should say, too, and I probably get into it a little bit later, that when her remains are finally found, interestingly enough, 17-minute drive southeast of Leduc. Mm. That phone call was 17 minutes long. Yeah, word. Right. So that's what makes me really kind of buy into the theory that she was pretending talking to her brother and actually just talking to his voicemail that entire trip. Yeah, and the only other thing that I can think of is that the clip that RCMP released is clipped to remove any other conversation. Yes, yes, yes. And that's the part that's also very questionable to me because... So we don't get to hear Amber's brother's voice at all. So even if he is actually on the call, on the call, we don't get to hear his voice. But we have to kind of trust the RCMP in that regard because they have do. the full recording. We do. But what we do know for sure is that call, if it was made to an inmate at Edmonton Remand, would have been deleted after 90 days. The police didn't even consider Amber missing. Amber's brother didn't raise any alarm about the way that call ended. Or I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? Weird. So the only thing that makes sense to me is she wasn't actually talking to him from the remand center. She could have been. Otherwise, like RCMP really dropped the ball. Meaning but they, would they have had got to, the phone call, but still decided that she wasn't actually. Yeah, and I don't believe that. I'm a fan of the RCMP in most I think that in the past they have proved to treat um, oh, First for Nations sure. people horribly. And am I incorrect in assuming that they are First Nations? They are. So I would believe it. But even having said that, so that phone call was released two years later mm-hmm. on September 1st, 2012. Her remains were found 10 days later after that phone call. And and it wasn't um, due to any tip from the public because of that phone call. Uh, But before that, months and months and months before that, the police had told the family, we believe Amber's met with foul play. Um, So they knew before they released the phone call that they were looking for remains and, and I mean, she was added back to the missing persons list, but it wasn't actively being investigated. I Just get like it. There needed so to be a trigger. And to you, you feel that trigger is that the brother got released. He got a voicemail. Correct. He handed it over. Correct. Correct. Because when you're in the Edmonton Remand Center, you're just kind of in limbo. You're either waiting for court or you've got a short sentence and you're not being sent to a prison facility. Right. So it's like the the states would think of it as a county jail as opposed to a federal prison or a state prison or DOC in Alberta. Anyways, in Edmonton and Calgary, we've got the Calgary Remand Center and we've got the Edmonton Remand Center. 
these are our quote unquote county jails. Hmm. So people are there waiting trial. They're there serving their shorter sentences or misdemeanor, whatever. Um, and then once they get sentenced to prison, they get moved to an actual facility. Hmm. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. I believe that when he got released from the Edmonton remand, this could answer why it took so long for the police to get that phone call to believe that she had uh, met with foul play. And then further that, why did it take them even longer to release that phone call to the public for help? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But like I said, Amber's remains were found on Saturday, September 1st, 2012 in a remote field in Leduc County in a patch of trees about 12 kilometers east of Leduc. Horseback riders were in the area when they stumbled, stumbled upon her skull. This was just four days after release phone call. I'm sorry, I said 10 days, but whatever, I guess it was only four days. But by this time, Amber's case was being handled by a division of the RCMP called Project CARE. And we've talked about CARE a few times through these last couple of episodes. Which proves to me furthermore that they were Mm -hmm. looking at her as a First Nations so I can only presume that Amber was put into this high-risk category because she was hitchhiking, um, because Amber was not a prostitute. Staff sergeant at the time said it was coincidental that Amber's remains were found so soon after release of the call, um, but the sergeant was interviewed at the dump site. He stated that other bones were found scattered near the body and that about 40 people were on the ground searching. There was never any mention of her clothing, shoes, cell phone, or other belongings. The Tokoro family was later told that the other bones belonged to animals. Another weird thing that happened at the dub site while searchers were combing the area, the RCMP ordered air restrictions over the area. So, I guess, to stop media, news helicopters, drones, whatever, from flying over. But that was the first time that it happened. Authorities also identified her skull the same day by using dental records, and they never said how long they think the remains were there. So the cause of death is also, or was also never revealed. So if there were any injuries to her skull, it was not publicly announced. Paul, again, Amber's other brother, has stated that his family was told way before the skull was found that they would need to go through the proper testing procedures if she was ever found, that the identification could take up to months. Um, I'll get more into that in a minute, but backing up to the phone call. So Paul also stated that the RCMP called the family a short time before the release of the phone call and said they believed Amber met with foul play, um, that they think she's dead. They were advised to hold a memorial for her, but they refused because there was no body to prove that she was dead. Um, they were then told to keep posting on social media, like as if she was still missing. And remember, this was before her remains were found. Um, but the RCMP were quite certain that she was dead. Paul also said that Tootsie was called into the Fort McMurray RCMP detachment and was allowed to listen to the whole recording. Paul had to go back to Fort Chippewan and could not deviate from his schedule, so he had his other brother, Conrad, go with their mom. Tootsie said that Amber was laughing and seemed okay at the beginning of the call. A lot of the call was redacted and bleeped out, and this was extremely hard for Amber's family to listen to because they could hear the fear and panic that Amber was experiencing. 
And having said that, that kind of, I guess, beating around the bush a little bit, but feeds into my theory about the call being faked to her brother, because in all of her interviews, uh, Tootsie is very clear about saying, I told Amber fake phone calls if you have to, if you can't get a hold of anybody, if you have to hitchhike, make sure you're on the phone with somebody. And if you can't get a hold of anybody, even pretend to talk to somebody. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, I think that feeds into my theory. I was wondering where did the rumor come from or the information come from that she was on, that the recording was from a phone call with her brother who is in a romance center. Right. And I mean, piece those pieces together, right? Like if she had called her brother, not knowing that he was in the remand center, left him this voice message or pretended to talk to him on his voicemail. And then the, nobody knew about that until a year later. No, totally. Two years later. When My the question call is, was where's that information coming from? Like the police. The police said that the phone call was from a call to her brother in a remand center. In the Edmonton remand center. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it said that Amber received a phone call from her brother at the Edmonton remand center. So that's why everybody was like, oh my God. What luck that her brother would have called her while she was hitchhiking. The call lasted the exact amount of time that it took to get from the hotel to where her body was found. And not just that, you heard the struggle. You heard the phone go dead. So why wouldn't the brother have said, call Amber's mom and say, something's up. Can you make sure Amber's okay? Um... Red flag, red flag, red flag. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's so confusing. It's weird. It is. So obviously, the Tokoro family was fed up with the RCMP and their mishandling of Amber's case. On March 20th, 2014, they filed a formal complaint with the CRCC, which stands for the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission. They are an independent uh, agency that investigates complaints against the RCMP. They ensure they're examined fairly and impartially. The review for this complaint was supposed to take 16 months, but it ended up taking four years because of all the inappropriate things that the RCMP did. Um, The final 120-page report was issued to the family in September of 2018, and the family has released 10 pages from the report. And it included some of the things that we've already discussed here. There was a recommendation in the report suggesting that the RCMP offer a public apology for all of the wrongdoings in the investigation. On July 25th, 2019, the Alberta RCMP Deputy Commissioner publicly apologized to the Tukuro family, simply saying that the investigation was not their best work. He then excused himself early from the press conference, stating that he had a meeting he couldn't miss. Huh. Um, that's a little inappropriate. However, I don't think the relationship was there. I think they knew that the family was not going to accept the apology. Her family uh, came out and said, we do not acknowledge this apology because it's not heartfelt. They believe it was only done because the CRCC report suggested that they do it. The Tokoro family has been so hurt by the RCMP's action that, that they no longer trust them. In September 2019, the family applied for a permit to exhume Amber's body for DNA testing. 
Her skull is only identified using dental records when they could have tested those remains against her son, Jacob, um, like DNA, but they never did. After they applied for the permit, the RCMP sent a medical examiner up to Fort Chippewan to see Paul. Um, he had uh, de- Amber's dental records with him and an x-ray found of the skull. He was trying to convince Paul that the skull they found was indeed Amber's. Paul was still unconvinced. He said that there were discrepancies um, with the fillings in the teeth and that he didn't believe that they were looking at the same set of teeth. Medical examiner said that they think they're Amber's and they will not allow them to be to exhume Amber's body for DNA testing. The RCMP, in my opinion, should have done this testing when the skull was first found um, to be 100% sure that it belonged to Amber, give her family some peace of mind, or at the very least take DNA samples before, um, before it's buried. You know what I mean? Maybe, but I think that it's a little bit of a reach, honestly, for this. Um, I might that might be an um, unpopular, unpopular opinion, but um, they're not going to spend money when it, it doesn't need to happen. There are hundreds of missing people, yeah. and they are obviously able to identify this going towards somebody who they didn't even think was dead for a while. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm guessing they had enough to support that it was Amber. Yeah. Sadly. Sadly. That is my take on that. But. So, Tootsie had posted on Amber's Facebook, like the, the case's Facebook page on July 25th, 2021. She said that Amber's status card had, status card had been found in January or February 2013. So for anyone who might not know, a status card is similar to what some might know as a tribal ID card. A status card is a government ID that identifies someone as a status Indian, as identified by the Federal Indian Act. The card was found inside of a hockey bag at an ice arena in Calling Lake, Alberta. It was pinned to the bulletin board there until someone recognized Amber's picture. Since Calling Lake is so small, they do not have their own RCMP detachment, so the Athabasca RCMP was called in to retrieve it as evidence. This was about four to five months after her remains were found. So this information was told to Tootsie and Paul in 2020, not by the RCMP, but by the person who found it. When Tootsie called the RCMP to ask about it, they had to go check the case because they didn't know what she was talking about. So I never got confirmation if that actually happened. Like, did they actually find her status card in Calling Lake in a hockey bag? That's interesting if they did. So since 2000, all of the women, including Amber, were found near the small community of Leduc. They were all indigenous except for the last victim. The following four women all were sex workers in Edmonton who all disappeared around the same time. So Edna Bernard, 28 years old, um, she was from White Sh- Whitefish Lake First Nation. She was a mother to six boys. A friend seen her get into a vehicle on September 22nd. A regular customer of hers said that uh, he dropped her off in Edmonton or short time before her body was found on September 23rd. 
Um, her burned and strangled body was found in a farmer's field in Leduc County. Um, again, Katie Ballantyne, 40 years old. She had four kids. She was last seen near uh, 90th Street and 133rd Avenue, which is the stroll in Edmonton. Um, on April 27, 2003, she was reported missing. And then on May 5th, her body was found um, in the same farmer's field. Um, so July 2003, investigators have said that they believe the same person who killed Katie is has also killed um, Dolores Brower. She was 32 years old when she went missing in May of 2004. She was last seen registering with Project Care when she left um, the intersection of 118th and 70th and then got into a vehicle that headed west. A landowner was walking in some woods near Rallyview um, when they found her body on April 19th, 2015. Uh, they used dental records to identify her. Again, Leduc County. Uh, Corey uh, Ottenbright was 27 years old and last seen by her family when she left to work the streets on May 9th, 2004. She worked on the same strip as Dolores in Edmonton. Her body was actually found near where Dolores was found. She was identified by uh, hair samples that she gave to Project Care. And the last victim went missing May 2004. If connected to Amber, the time gap could be because the killer was possibly in prison. He could have gotten married or started a family, or maybe he was hunting in another town or city. Um, the time gap is about six years, but there could be other missing women in the area. Um, you just, you never know. Maybe he was traveling at the time and he yeah. did it somewhere else. Right. And I mean, I should say too, in the Amber case, in that Nisku area, there are a number of truck stops. So, I mean, it's a wild theory, but maybe a trucker. It's not unheard of. It's actually more common than I'd like to think about. Um, yep. So for these Edmonton homicides, Pat Carson is at the top of the list of suspects. He has been convicted of sexual offenses and is known for posting ads online, offering free room and board for ranch hands. He will also offer to teach people to train horses. There's a website dedicated to warn other people to stay away from him. Pat Carson's ranch has been known as a Sandy Beach Horse Ranch and the Yukon Trail Ranch. He's also posted under the name Bill O'Brien and Ed Flynn. A website set up to warn others of him says that he was released from the Fort Saskatchewan uh, Correctional Center in 2003 after serving time for sexual offenses. So three women have come forward that identified Pat as the voice from Amber's phone recording. But the RCMP say that they have investigated him and cleared him. Um, Paul Tuckerow stated that he was told by he was told that Pat Carson is still a person of interest because Pat cannot account for his movements around the time Amber went missing. There's a lot of disturbing stories of him from people who lived at his ranch. A woman named Amelia made a Facebook post on August 25th, 2021, and stated that she lived at the ranch for a short while. She said that there were several abandoned cars on the property that he had clothes of all sizes and genders in his basement, including kids, um, clothing, shoes, and boots. 
Um, she also stated that Pat looked like the s- suspect sketch from a Jack family case. Um, that post caught the attention of Maria Jack. Um, so that was a family who went missing um, after going to work at a quote-unquote logging camp for a few weeks. They haven't been seen or heard from since. The final suspect in the case is a man by the name of Dr. John Roberts, who is a professional hypnotist. Paul had posted a photo of Evangeline on his Facebook account. In the comments, a person brought up John, a man who worked at the Edmonton airport at the time, said that John stopped by with Amber between 7.30 and 8 p.m. the night she went missing. He had introduced Amber to him and two other co-workers. They all knew Amber, and I think they might have all been from the same community or knew mutual people. The man also said that John drove a black 2006 Ford Focus and said that he was taking Amber to 50th Street so she could drive his car. John returned to the area about 9.30 p.m. without Amber. The person saying that uh, he did report this to the RCMP and included the dates, times, emails, and text messages. He also said that John has a similar voice to the recording. The RCMP did apparently investigate this and do not consider him to be involved. Well, that's bizarre. It is really bizarre, considering that the phone call wouldn't have been released. Um, We didn't know at the time what time, so he got the time right. The only problem I have with this is Amber wasn't from Edmonton. I don't know that she would have mutual connections. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. Yeah, so I just, I don't, I don't know. It's It's also weird to walk into an airport and be like, hey, here's this person and this person. Right, like the story just kind of. It's weird. Falls short of factual to me. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I pray that Amber's killer will be caught one day and sent to prison for what he did to her. Um, but most importantly, it's super important that we keep talking about these cases, even the old ones, the cold ones, and especially with this Richard Mantha guy in Calgary now, who's under investigation, we could have some answers, you know, it could, it could shed some light on some of these cases. I think that they're, I think that they're connected. Um, the County of Leduc is pretty. It is um, big. There's a lot of open fields. There are a lot of dirt roads. But I have a really hard time believing that multiple killers would be so attracted to that area to continually dump bodies. Do you know what I mean? In Calgary? No, in Leduc County. Oh. In Calgary, he's the guy's kind of plunking them just right around the entire city, right? Just on the outskirts. If you look at a map of Calgary and all the locations that I pointed out where these remains were found, he's like making a circle around the city. Mm -hmm. So, but Edmonton, it seems like these cases that we talked about today, their remains were all dumped in Leduc County. I don't know the exact hectares or square footage or anything. It is a big area. But like I said, it's not, to me, it's not believable to think multiple people are dumping multiple murder victims in the same Yeah, the Leduc one county. sounds so similar that like it right? feels like it has to be connected. But Right. And like I said, that is on the furthest south end of Edmonton, closing the gap between Edmonton city center to Calgary 
from three hours to less than two and a half hours travel time between the two cities. So I don't know. I would be interested to see what other people think. Um, possibly a connection. We'll watch and see what happens with Richard Mantha's case. Um, hopefully there's some closure for some of these people. If not, feel free to share the episode um, for Amber's case. Share that uh, audio. Get that guy's voice back out in the media because we haven't heard it for a while from mainstream media. And just um, keep talking about it. Just keep talking about it. Talk about it. Like I said, I Make this an interesting one. I, I reached out to Tootsie to kind of get her blessing. And then I really, really, really wanted to find out what Amber's brother had said. You know, because you know by now he has been talked to by the family, by the Do you police. Do know his name? Can you not reach out to no, him directly? No, I can't. Fuck. Like his name's okay. never been released. That's why I went to her. But the, the message and is no still... And no same last names and like the... because you know, Amber was actually adopted by Tootsie um, when she was a baby. But this brother is Amber's biological brother. So they have a different last name, and I don't know what that last name is. I wouldn't know even where to start trying to track this kid down or this guy down. Um, but I did reach out to Tootsie. The message has been sent. It still hasn't been read. Um, but it is what it is. Let's just keep sharing it and keep talking about it, and we'll uh, we'll get these guys. Eventually. Eventually. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our TikTok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm sure. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye.